0: So our last psalm for the summer, and I love that we're ending on Psalm 98 because it's actually a psalm that's pointing us forward. It was like a looking forward to the future psalm, part of the story that they didn't have yet. And as we turn to Psalm 98 and before I read it, it was making me think a lot about the psalm last night as we were blowing things up in order to celebrate Independence Day. How many of you guys had a lot of fireworks go off in your neighborhood? Yeah? It was crazy in our neighborhood. It's never been like that before. Like, a lot of the public displays of fireworks were canceled because of the coronavirus, because of how dry and hot it is in Phoenix. And so a lot of those shows were shut down. Our neighborhood put on their own show. It was insane. Like, there was a grand finale at the end. Like, where do people get those, like, cannons that shoot off fireworks? I don't know. Probably not supposed to have them. Maybe. I don't know. But it, it was pretty wild. It was, it was a spectacle. It was fun to see. It was celebratory. And it was reminding me, like, oh, yeah, this is a celebration. And the reason it's a celebration was because on July 4th of 1776, yeah, it's been a long time since I've been to school, 1776, in Philadelphia, when they went out and they read this Declaration of Independence, they did it to a band and a bunch of loud, banging, clanging noises to kind of celebrate. Hey, we, we're our own nation now. We're independent. We're free. It reminds me also, we, we talked recently about Juneteenth, which just happened, and how in Galveston, Texas, when they finally found out these people who had been enslaved that, hey, actually, legally, technically, they have supposed to have been free for over two years? Like, one, I, I think on one hand, that probably would have been like a crushing blow to be like, man, I've been living as a slave for two and a half years, and I sh- shouldn't have been. But also, can you imagine the celebration that would have come with that too? The party that would have happened? And in both of those instances, it was like a victory, right? It was a victory. It was, we were under the rule of somebody, and now we are free. We are under the rule of some other entity, some other empire, some other nation, whatever it might be, and now we're liberated. And so it's like a victory celebration. It's a, a victory song, if you will. Have you guys ever celebrated a victory before? Maybe it was like a, you won at a game, your team won a game, or you scored a goal. Like, kids, who, who's played sports in here? All right, when you... When you do something good in your sports game activity, whatever it might be, what usually happens from the people on the sidelines who are watching you? They cheer, right? Yeah, they start clapping, they cheer, they're excited for you. What happens when your team wins? Yeah, they cheer, your team celebrates, it's a victory, right? Has anybody ever had another moment like that, maybe outside sports, where like, you had a victory in life, and you were so excited, and you celebrated a little bit. Maybe you did a little happy dance. Who's got their own happy dance that you don't want anyone to know about? Yeah. You're going to show us right now? Okay. I have a happy dance. I'm not going to let you see it. Uh, maybe, maybe there's certain times where you do want to just break out in song, but it's a little weird, and you're like, I don't know. My, I don't hit the right notes, so you don't do it. But you have that thing, like, welling up, and you're like, there's, there's something here to celebrate. There's a victory Psalm 98 is a victory song. It's a celebratory victory song. And it's reminiscent of one. It's written like one that a nation would have sung after going to battle with another nation and winning the war. So they would celebrate their king. They would celebrate their army. They would celebrate the victory. And this is a victory song written about God. And so turn there with me, Psalm 98. And this is just titled a psalm. We don't know who this is written by. Many of them were written by David, but we don't know that this one was. Psalm 98 says this, Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has performed wonders. His right hand and holy arm have won him victory. The Lord has made his victory known. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen our God's victory. Let the whole earth shout to the Lord. Be jubilant, shout for joy and sing. Sing to the Lord with the lyre. That's not someone who tells lies, kids. L-Y-R-E, it's kind of like a guitar type of instrument. Sing to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and melodious song. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout triumphantly in the presence of the Lord, our King. Let the sea and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it, resound. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains shout together for joy before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world righteously and the peoples fairly. This is God's word. Father, we pray that you would open up your word to us, open up our hearts and our minds and our ears to receive your word. God, may we be transformed by it. May it not just be another morning where we sit here and we listen and we go home and nothing changes, but God, that we would store your word in our hearts, that our souls would be moved, that you would renew us and make us more and more into image of your son, Jesus. Fill us more and more with your Holy Spirit. May this be more and more for your glory, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Psalm 98. What were some of the fun things you guys heard in that? Bless you. Kids especially, I'd love to hear from you, but adults, grownups, you're welcome to answer too. What are some of the, the things you heard in that that just sounded like fun or sounded weird even? What popped out? What stood out to you? Go ahead, Cam. The liar. Yeah, yeah. Not the liar who tells lies, but the liar, the, the guitar. What did it say? It said, sing to the Lord with the liar. So like what your mom was doing up here with her guitar, right? And singing. That, that's a command from God. Did you know that's a command to sing? I remember when I was your age, Canon, and I would go to church with my dad and we'd sit in the pews. We had pews, not folding chairs like this. And we'd sit there like this, or stand there like this. And it was a, a different kind of setting than this. And so we were singing these hymns, which were beautiful hymns. And it was an old lady at the organ playing and leading us. And people would be singing. And then my dad would look over at us and go, hey, sing. Not just sing. we're like, and then we start mouthing watermelon. You know that trick? like. It looks like you're saying anything that they're saying to, because we were being forced to sing. We were being commanded to sing. Did you know, actually, God does command us to sing? But what's different about that is that he's not just there going, hey, sing. What are you doing? Sing. Open your mouth. Come on. But that actually he gives us a good reason to sing. There's this command in there to sing with the lyre, but also with the guitar but also we hear in this reasons why. What were some other things that stood out? Bethany, I think you were going to say something. Yeah, which verse? The Lord has made his victory known, or, or your translation might say his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of nations. This is why you sing. This is why you sing. God has the victory. Salvation has come. The enemy has been defeated. What else stood out? Or did you have a question about something? Okay, cool. Cuz I can't prepare with all kinds of things to talk about, but I wanted to make sure you had a chance to go. I don't get this. So now I'm just going to talk. Sound good? You guys aren't very talkative this morning. I got a mic I'm going to talk. So Here we go. So we're given this command to sing, but God gives us a reason to sing too. And this, again, being a victory song, being like a, just coming out of battle and going, oh man, we defeated our enemies. We have a reason to sing. This is how Israel wrote this. And let's think of some reasons why Israel in particular would have been able to sing a song like this during this time, during the time it was written, during the time it was sung. Because remember, When this book was compiled, when the psalm book was compiled, they're in exile. That means they're not in their home. They were driven away from it. That means other nations have beaten them up pretty bad. That means they can't go to the temple and worship God and sing there. So, in a sense, they're quarantined from Jerusalem, right? Away from it. They're sent away. That's what exile was. So why would they sing a victory song? But if we remember the history of God's people, the history of Israel, if we remember through the story, there would have been victories that happened. David, who wrote many of the Psalms, we don't know if he wrote this one, would have had victories for all of Israel to sing about. In fact, that would happen often. David would come back from a war, he'd defeat an enemy, and people would start singing songs to David. They would start singing songs about their king. In fact, that's one of the things that made Saul, the king before him, very angry because they would say, Saul killed his hundreds, but David's killed his thousands. Like, they're saying David's a mightier upcoming king than King Saul. and He gets super jealous about that. So there's these songs to sing about David and him bringing victory for Israel. Remember when he slayed that giant Goliath? And they're going, David goes, this is God. Like, I didn't do this but God will protect me when I go into this battle. And so he knew, that's why he penned many of these psalms, he knew that victory belonged to God. Or when Israel was led across the Red Sea out of Egypt, their exodus from Egypt, and they see that God miraculously parts the water and they go across safely, and then when their enemy, Egypt, who's following after them, chasing them, hunting them down, they get swallowed up in the water. What do they do? They start singing a song right on the other side of the sea. They start singing a song because God just gave them victory over their enemies. There were times when they crossed and they were on the other side and they were waiting to get into the promised land and these other nations came and attacked them. And God miraculously took this scraggly band of people who used to be slaves. They're peasants. They weren't a trained army. And he he allowed them to have victory over armies that were much bigger than them outnumbered them greatly. So God's people would sing. God's given us victory. And could you imagine what kind of joy would be there then in that moment? Because it's like, man, we thought we were going to die. This was certain death. This army was coming after us. At one point, right on the other side of the sea, like they're they're facing before the Red Sea, they're facing a sea and they're facing the army of Egypt coming at them and they're trapped. What are they going to do? They don't do much. God has the victory. Verse 2, what Bethany pointed out. The Lord has made his victory known, right? He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. Every time God saved Israel, all the nations heard about it. They knew about it. In fact, there's lots of accounts of the other nations going, hey, we've heard about you and your God. Please have mercy on us. Like, we know that your God's powerful. We saw what he did to Pharaoh with all the plagues he brought in Egypt. This victory kept happening over and over again. And yet, over and over again, Israel kept finding themselves in trouble again, didn't they? Over and over again, they kept getting kicked out of their own land. Over and over again, they kept failing miserably so they could not get into the land that was promised them by God. And so they're sitting there in exile and they're singing a victory song. Yes, they could remember what's happened in the past, but what about right now? What about what's going on in the world right now? What about the junk that they're wrestling through right now? What about the oppression that they're facing right now? What about the sickness that's happening right now? How could they sing a victory song right now? Now, most experts would look at the song and they know This is not a song written about what happened with King David or with Moses or with any of the other kings of Israel or the leaders of Israel before. No, this was a song looking forward. It was like a prophetic song saying, God will bring his salvation. But they're saying it as if it has already happened because God's promises are that good. And he's always held up his promises. So they know when he makes this promise, it's pretty much as good as done. So there's a celebration that God will one day come and bring his salvation to us. In fact, did you know that this psalm, Psalm 98, is what inspired a man named Isaac Watts to write the song, Joy to the World? You guys know the song? Sing it at time a lot. How's it go? You want me to sing it for you? You don't want me to sing it for you. I can recite it for you. Joy to the world, the Lord. You know the rest? Come on. Yeah. I like to say has come because the original Lord is come. I'm like, what does that mean? We don't talk that way anymore? Yeah. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her what? King. Yeah. In fact, I pulled up the lyrics on my phone. Let's look at this and see how similar this is to Psalm 98. So There's four verses. Joy to the world. And this whole Psalm has been telling us to sing for joy, right? Joy to the world. The Lord is come. He is here. It's like saying this, like it's already happened, right? Let Earth receive her king. He is the king. He is the victor. He is the ruler. He's the one in charge. He's the one who sits on the throne. Let every heart, not just Israel, every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. And heaven, heaven, you know, you know the rest. I told you you didn't want me to sing that. What do we hear in Psalm 98? Not just the lyre singing, that old lyre, but let the sea, verse 7, let the sea and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it, resound. Let the rivers clap their hands. Have you ever heard rivers clap before? You've probably heard it if it's like getting all wavy and rocky. It's macking up against the rocks. Let the mountains shout together for joy before the Lord. This is a picture of all heaven and earth resounding with joy. Isaac Watts was writing this about a coming king, a king who wasn't here when Psalm 98 was written. He took, in fact, he said at one point, taking this psalm, taking psalms that were written by David and others. And writing it on this side of Christ, on this side of knowing Jesus has come as the king, as the one sent by God to be the rescuer and the savior, allows me to find the deeper meaning in what those old writers were really trying to say. And do you remember when Jesus was marching victoriously into Jerusalem the last week of his life? He was riding on that donkey, and they were laying down palm branches for him. They were doing what, in their customs, they would have done for a king going into battle. And when when the religious leaders were like, hey, they're, they're praising you, they're calling you their king, they're calling you their savior, tell them to stop. What does he say? He says, if they stop, the rocks will cry out in their place, right? Why? Because the rocks know who made them. Because the, the rocks, the rivers... The stars, they are far more familiar with who's really in control, with who really is the king of the universe. You and I, we fight for that place all the time, don't we? I try to be king of my own life. I try to be king of my own little universe. But these other things created by God, they know their place. So you get this picture of all of heaven and earth rejoicing the way it should be. Second verse, joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. That just means sing a song. It's old school written. It's cool. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains, repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat. You guys are gonna do it with me? The sounding joy. Okay. There's a fourth verse that we're familiar with. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love. And wonders, wonders of. His love. How many of you know the third verse? For some reason, this gets cut out a lot. It's Not in the Frank Sinatra version that you heard sung in the department stores when you are Christmas shopping. There's a third verse. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. Have you guys, are you guys familiar with that verse? Have you heard that one before? Listen, Jesus came. We sing the song at Christmas. He was born as a, as a helpless little baby to a poor family in the poorest of poor towns. Born in like the town where no one would expect anything good to come from. Had nothing his whole life. He says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He gets a group of like ragtag bunch to follow him around that nobody, nobody would expect to do anything great. A bunch of sinners, a bunch of mess-ups. He gets them to follow him around. He does what might seem to some as some cool little party tricks And then he gets a bunch of leaders and authorities angry at him. And they kill him. They murder him. Is that the kind of victory song you're going to sing? Is that the kind of king you're picturing come in and doing away with your enemy? Like if you're Israel, you are oppressed right now in this time by the Roman Empire. They're calling the shots, not you. They have say over your life, over what you will do tomorrow. And this so-called king you thought was going to come and liberate you and set you free, build a new kingdom, a new empire where things would be right, and yet he's murdered by the people who have been oppressing you this whole time. Are you going to sing a victory song? I don't think... That when that song was written, Joy to the World by Isaac Watts, I don't think it was meant for Christmas time. It wasn't meant for the first time Jesus came and showed up, because the first time he came and showed up, he showed up representing us in our lowliest state. He lowered himself to the form of a servant, and he took on the suffering that you and I are supposed to endure. I think he was looking forward even more to the promise that we have in Scripture, the promise Jesus himself gave, that he is coming back again one day. And when he returns a second time, is he coming as a helpless infant? No. Is he coming as a suffering servant? No. The risen lamb who was slain becomes the conquering, roaring lion. The suffering servant becomes the warrior king. When Jesus returns, when he comes back, he is coming on a mighty steed. He is coming to bring victory and to make sure his kingdom reigns and no other kingdom does. That third verse no more sorrow, no more grief, no more thorns and thistles growing from the ground. Do you remember the curse at the beginning of the story? You remember the curse all the way back in the garden when God created all things good and he made the rocks and the rivers to clap their hands and he made the stars and he made the trees and he made all things good and he put humanity there to be his representative. These humans were supposed to show the rest of creation what God is like by caring for it, and by bringing glory to God. And instead of doing their jobs well, they rebel against the truth. They try to become kings themselves. And it brings a curse into all the land. It not only destroys the relationship between them and God, it not only destroys the relationship between one another, but it also destroyed their relationship with earth itself, with creation itself. God says to the man, now you will work through thorns and thistles. It's going to be hard not going to be easy. Why? Because your rebellion has brought a curse upon all things. Listen, we got to understand how big our rebellion is, how big this problem of sin is, because it's not just that you individually cannot get into heaven one day if you don't say a prayer. That's a small view of sin, which then leads to a small view of God's grace and his victory. But it's a sin that has permeated all things. That the very ground itself is groaning and waiting for this king to come back and make all things right. That's what we've done. Sin has cursed all things. So that song, as far as the curse is found. God has come to let his blessings flow now. As far as the curse is found. We got a big sin problem. but We got a much bigger God. No matter how far our sin and our rebellion has affected all things, God is coming to restore all things. As far as the curse is found, removing the curse of thorns and thistles, and he is restoring all things. That's why you get rocks and rivers and mountains and trees and stars singing. Let's be honest, and I'm one of us, that we sit here on Sunday mornings and we want to like this watermelon, watermelon, right? Because where is that joy that the creation seems to know so well? Because they know, the creation knows the groaning it has, the birth pains it has, the destruction that has happened from the curse. And because of that, it knows the joy that is coming when our king finally makes all things right. Let's end with the last verse. After verse 8, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains shout together for joy before the Lord. Verse 9, 4. This is telling us why. Why are we shouting with joy? Why is the river clapping their hands? Why? What is all this for? For this reason. Because why? He is coming to judge the earth. This is not his first coming. The second coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world righteously and the peoples fairly. Did that pop out to any of you as weird? That was really what I was asking at the very beginning of this. Is what stood out? What, what kind of like caught your attention? Wait a second, this whole psalm is about singing for joy. God's victorious. Why? Why are we joyful? Because he's coming to judge? Because he will judge the world righteously? Have you ever put judgment and joy together? My kids, be honest. When you're in trouble and I have to discipline you, is that super fun? Are you happy? Does it bring joy? It just fills your heart with so much joy you got to sing? Probably not, right? Of course not. How in the world can we sing for joy when we're talking about God coming and bringing judgment? Listen, remember this was a people singing in exile. This was a people who were oppressed. Why? Because the world's broken. We talked about this last week. Also because other people are messed up and they were oppressing them. They were causing injustice on them. Inequities were caused on them. Things were not equal. So when you hear God's coming to make things fair, like, oh, okay. But also because of their own problems, because of their own failures to trust God, because of their own pride, because of their own mess. So for God to come and make things right, that needs to happen. A person who's beaten down and experiencing things messed up, wants to hear good news. God's going to come and make things right. Last week, we went, we drove up to uh, Sedona, and on our drive back home, it took like an extra couple hours because I-17 was closed down. There was fires going on right there. Like, seriously, in 2020, another thing we need in Phoenix is fires happening everywhere, right? So you got the coronavirus, you got economic disaster, you got... Problems of systemic racism. You got people who aren't trusting the police and want to take funding away. You got political division. You got all kinds of arguments going on, even in the body. And then there's fires going on on top of that. There's murderous hornets in the Pacific Northwest. Killer bees weren't enough. Now you got murderous hornets. Like, seriously, what is going on in this world? It's broken. It's a mess. We need someone to come and save it. But here's the problem. Coming to save it means he's got to do away with what caused the problem. That's judgment. He's got to come and do away with the ones who are causing it. I use this analogy all the time with my kids. If one of my sons is hitting my other son, what do I do to make things right? I've got to remove him from causing that harm. And there's got to be some discipline to teach him, right? That's what salvation looks like to the other one who's getting beat up. Jesus came first to bring good news. Hey, there is judgment coming, but you don't have to be the one judged that way. You could be judged with righteousness. You could be judged being seen in Christ's Righteousness. And because he's a patient God, he came a long time ago and he gave this good news, and he is waiting patiently before he returns. Because one day he's going to return as that victorious warrior king to do battle. And if you're still on the side of rebellion, what's going to happen? He comes to judge the world. But God's grace. You know, all throughout the Psalms, joy and fear are mentioned equally. If you fear this God, if you have a right view of this God being the one who's in control, he's the one who comes to judge, and you submit yourself to him as king. God's grace wraps you in his righteousness. So when he comes to judge the world righteously and the peoples fairly, you are seen in his righteousness. And the judgment then becomes your salvation. Just like Israel going across the sea, that was salvation for them and judgment for the Egyptians. It always comes hand in hand. Judgment will bring fear for many, but it will bring joy for those who are in Jesus' righteousness. So when we're sitting in times like this in 2020 where it's crazy, all kinds of weird things are going on, Know that the world itself, the earth itself, the rivers and the rocks, they're crying out and groaning and waiting for Jesus to return his king too. Are we? Is that what we're longing for? Is that what we're putting our hope in? Or are we continuing to put our hope in ourselves or in other people or in other things that will fail us? Let's put our hope in him, and then you can start to sing that good song. You can start to sing that victory song even in advance just like Israel did. We know because his promises are good and true that he is coming one day. and He will judge the world and he will rule the world with righteousness and all things will be made right. And if we're in Jesus, we get to be in this renewed world where all things are right. That's what I want for each and every single one of us. And I pray that you want that too. I pray that, that the spirit would stir up that desire in your heart more and more each day that you can't help but sing when you think about it. Pray with me and then we're gonna sing again.